0: Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder, and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. I'm in Greenville, South Carolina, for this episode 231 of the podcast. My first time in Greenville, South Carolina. Welcome. Well, thank you. <laughs> Joining me on the podcast is Cameron Owens of the 8th State a budding, very hip brewery in Greenville, um, known for making some interesting progressive styles and very flavor-forward things. We're going to talk about making those kinds of beers from uh, flavorful dessert Stouts, I'm, I'm trying to move past the word pastry just to piss off Alex Kidd um, and change change the lexicon on this. We're going to call them dessert dessert stouts. Uh, <laughs> adjuncted stouts. <laughs> adjuncted stouts. We're also going to talk about uh, flavorful, kettle-soured, quick-soured beers. Uh, and we're going to talk about a few other things because right now we're also drinking an unfiltered Logger and uh you know they love to play in all of those spaces we're going to talk to cameron about how he does all of those things here at the eighth state before we do that for nearly 30 years gnd chillers has set the mark for quality equipment you can rely on gd stands above the rest as the only chiller manufacturer that engineers your glycol piping for free gnd also stands alone as the only chiller manufacturer with an in-house team of installers and engineers with 30 years of real-world field labor experience in breweries, wineries, and distilleries. Contact the Total Glycol System Design experts today at gdchillers.com. Also, support for this episode comes from BSG and The Malt House by RAR. The Malt House is your online source for cool and exclusive RAR malting company gear that you can't get anywhere else. T-shirts, hoodies, hats, socks, glassware, and Even gear for your pets. Rep the malt you brew with and look sharp doing it. Take the tradition home at themalthouse.com. That's the malt, H A U S.com. So, Cameron. My voice sounds really good today because I've been talking all day long at our Brewery Accelerator event up in Asheville. But tonight I've decided to pop down here and talk to you about uh, brewing these beers in Greenville. Give us the background on the 8th State. How, uh, what does this arc for brewing look like for you? You come from a creative background, and uh, but then you discovered brewing and that, that kind of seeds your creative passion. And, uh, you know, now we are here at the 8th State and you have built this reputation for making cool, flavorful beers. Yeah. What, what's that arc look like? What got you through this?
1: Uh, so it originally started off kind of as just a lifestyle project where I was doing, you know, DJ mixes and clothing and things that were not beer. Um being in the food industry, I was I'm adding kind of- you to this
0: list of, of friends in the <laughs> brewing world that I know that have been involved in music and record labels or bands in the past. And there's a whole bunch of them who realized that selling beer is much more profitable enterprise than selling music, especially in this digital age when uh, Spotify and others are give nothing back to musicians.
1: Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, originally, you know, uh, the background I did come from at school was, essentially doing packaging science as well as doing fine arts. Um, I had a minor in fine art and then basically didn't finish school. So I have a lot of student debt. So that's a positive. Uh, (laughs) Um, so why not go into the lucrative career like brewing beer? Uh, Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. That's definitely the way
0: to pay off student debt.
1: I mean, definitely is an easy way to get into, uh, being in the food industry. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've been in food industry since I was a teenager and I've basically have continued doing that and was trying to figure out how I could form uh ways to put my interests and hobbies together while also having a cohesive environment. Uh, that kind of turned into me, you know, um, making home brewers, trying to make cider. They didn't really work out too well until I started working and doing a kind of little more production, kind of small scale batches. Eventually, uh, we have the eight state brewing and, um, Realize that, you know, beer can actually pay for things and art is uh, pretty hard to make money off of unless you are pretty amazing at it or pretty so the, prolific the at it. The Eighth State
0: was this amorphous brand and creative and other kinds of fields, but you've then been able to bring the Eighth State brand into into the brewery now and turn it into a brewery itself.
1: Yeah. And that's kind of interesting, too, is because the eight state is actually it's more revolving around the Eighth Circuit model. And the Eighth Circuit model is a social consciousness model. Um, Essentially, it, it examines social evolution at any present point in time or future point in time. And so we're kind of explaining like your most basic feelings to your most complex and outer body kind of feelings. So what I mean is, you know, being happy and sad can kind of be related to drinking alcohol. Where, uh, you know, uh, a neurosomatic circuit or the fourth circuit of um, being on the eight states is, is uh, hedonism or elation, and that's kind of related to marijuana or cannabis. Uh, and then when you look at the higher consciousness or your eight state, which is more related to like ayahuasca or other kinds of things, this is uh, community and social awareness, and that realizing that you know, we all are, are interconnected and that the only really way to get there is by really, really trying to see higher and above what you are and really trying to change yourself consistently. So, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs>
0: and so that's the goal of this small brew pub in, uh, in Greenville, South Carolina.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, in kind of weird ways like that is, you know, we have different kinds of, you know, cocktails or different bar program things. We have, kind of uh the art on the walls we have different kinds of music playing we um rotate our beer frequently and we rarely kind of put the same beers on and that's kind of we we have same uh core styles as opposed to core beers and this kind of allows us flexibility in what we want to do and how we want to grow as a company and it, it allows me freedom to be kind of um allow me to change and grow as a person as well so
0: is this, this is your first professional pr- approach to brewing or did you brew
1: at another brewery before this? So actually, uh, the current spot that you're in, uh, was originally a home brew shop. And then as well as a U brew where people could come on sure. premise and yeah. brew, uh, there was an, another head brewer at that point in time, uh, along with myself and another, uh, brewer uh, we were brewing, I think they originally had, it was like 30 or 40 different, like half barrel, and one barrel tanks. Right. And then, uh uh that concept uh, maybe wasn't for greenville at that point in time myself and one of the owners uh kind of had talked and i told him you know i was re- i have gained enough knowledge that i was going to be pursuing the aid state in a former fashion and so we kind of got on board together with creating the aid state here um with its own limitations but at the same time you know it allowed me to get a start of an idea or a vision out before i think maybe it was too late because I don't know. I feel like beer is really weird anymore. If yeah. maybe that's just a weird observation, but I, you know, the excitement towards beer is maybe not what I used to see it as. And mm. maybe that's just as a brewer or maybe that has a lot to do with coronavirus. And I think it probably does have a lot right. to do with that, but I think it's really slowed down mm. beer as a whole, which, you know, sucks, but it's also just kind of getting through it and evolving with that. Right, too. right.
0: So what year did you open the eighth? What, what year did the eighth state
1: manifest? So um, at the very end of September, beginning of October of 2018. Okay. Um, and so we're about three and a half years, a little less than three and a half years old. Um, and... It feels like we're only like a year and a half old. Year, <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Um, <laughs> we had two years of just timeout. It was yeah, just timeout. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was really great. You know, we first opened our uh, bar program with all of our bourbon, and we had tiki cocktails and everything. And this is like the very beginning of March 2020, and essentially we go to a pastry town, and uh, it, all of a sudden New York goes into a state of emergency, and we're like, are we gonna? go and then and they were like well we have a bottle release next weekend that never happened yeah and so all of that all that stuff up there was just put on hold for like almost two years yeah yeah
0: (laughs) yeah this is a small spot to describe it to people you've got a three barrel brew house here um it's a it's very compact Yeah, yeah um you are Stumbling over yourselves with kegs and barrels stacked into every space that you can in this in this space. Now, of course, you're not open today. And so things will change by the time you actually open later in the week. Um, It's still tight. (laughs) But it's yeah, it's it's a a small, very compact model. You're not made. How much beer do you make every year?
1: Uh, I want to say we made like three to five hundred barrels last year. Yeah, so, so it, pretty small.
0: It's a small production, uh, you know. And I imagine the first the first goal is serving this room that we're in and making sure the people that show up here are happy, you know. But then the pro I guess the you know the product strategy past that is to make some beers that can travel, and that uh, you know uh, create that kind of idea of what the brewery is, so that it feels more interesting and more fun and more energetic for people that come here.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's a weird kind of balancing act and I feel like we're still working on that, especially with the size we are. I feel if we were maybe even just slightly bigger, the option and, you know, I I feel like there's a thing about being exclusive, but there's a thing about being impossible. And that's something I feel like that we kind of struggle with sometimes is trying to uh, be, you know, an exclusive brewery and have people excited about our products, but we want to make sure people can still get our beer. And that kind of can be a struggle sometimes, especially with, you know, us aging a barrel aged out for two years and then heavily adjuncting it with coconut. And then today here's 200 bottles total. Right. And that, so when you take you know, if we wanted to save some or give some to events or uh, memberships or any of that, it's, it all gets just eaten up pretty uh, immediately. So we're constantly trying to, you know, increase our barrel program, but obviously that is kind of, it's in its own limitations in itself. And maybe we'll get some storage here at some point. Sure. Sure. <laughs> You're limited by your own size, not your desire to be pretentious assholes <laughs> about it all. She's and- I don't want to be a pretentious <laughs> asshole, but- <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh, you know as you were formulating the idea for the eight state uh, you know how did you think about a beer program that was going to work for this you know you're also here in a market in greenville there's some other good breweries in town obviously we've had sean johnson of birds fly south yeah great on dude a, on the podcast in the past um you know you you needed to find a place and a way for you
1: to fit in but also for a way to stand out
0: you know how, how would you start thinking about that
1: so uh originally the concept was you know doing kind of sour forward or flavors that were kind of like uh the fruited sour kind of thing but how did we put our own twist on it so what you're actually drinking is a seltzer and that seltzer has uh kool-aid passion fruit cherry and pineapple in it <laughs> okay <laughs> just to let you know um the other two are sour it, so. it smells like it yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey I, I love tropical kool-aid so yeah um but There's ori- a
0: nostalgic factor to that where like i think <laughs> about childhood
1: right yeah that's exactly it um but originally it was you know hey we were doing these kind oh my of my god that's sweet oh my god <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then i want to pretend that i don't like it because of that but i actually do
1: it, it yeah it, we all pretend and then mm-hmm. we're like okay if it's juice then it's juice the next one you got is got a uh, blueberries and cherries uh some passion fruit and then the other following sour has got uh, some calamansi in it as well as some uh, melon uh tayberry and a couple other elements just kind of playing around with citrus and berry profiles sure uh, just kind of like the contrast but with the sour program you know Originally, that's kind of what people were gravitating towards. And we hadn't even attempted doing really many stouts or barley wines at that point in time. Um, So people really were noticing us for that and doing kind of like hazy IPAs. And then uh, we were going to be focusing more on wild beer, you know, spontaneous kind of stuff and kind of bridging those two kinds of different markets within wild beer. Um, And that was going to be the goal for Eight State Brewing. And that did not happen. So uh, <laughs> why didn't it happen? Well, I mean, we still have the fruited sours and that's really great. But the wild program, uh, we kind of had to put on a, on breaks just because of, no one buys them. Well, it's that in the fact that, you know, we just have so much clean beer that if we infect any of it, then we're going to just right, lose a lot right. of money. Um, but with the sour beers, you know, originally to kind of even pay a little homage to that is... Uh, They're all solarid. So the two we have two five barrels over here that are consistently solarid. And what we'll do is uh, I'll have five different lactose strains. And then there's three different Saccharomyces strains. We'll do a brew day and then we'll transfer it into there and then let it ferment at uh, ambient temperature and then give it since now it's a a mother for we've probably had it for over a year or two years at this point. Um, We basically just keep. Soleroing it and just feeding it and then it does its thing and it ends up being at about like an eight and a half percent sour beer beforehand and then uh we'll fruit it down to do like the fruited sours that they're doing it'll come down to like six and a half percent um but that's kind of to keep a little more complexity within it uh something with like kettle sours that i find to be not in my taste is there's a lot of sulfur and kind of unfinished profiles and that's literally because when you do kettle souring you are halting a fermentation that is going on and so when we do this in these tanks lactose a surface bacteria it can go away we can we can make that go away we can't make brett go away we can't make PDO go away but this is something that we can work with and um It kind of just makes me feel like I'm doing a little bit more of a service to that style of beer as opposed to just making a kettle sour quick turnover beer and then just pushing it out with kind of, you know, off esters that we've seen in a lot of the fruited sours sure sure
0: you just sneaky got us into talking about brewing fruited sours and i want to keep doing that because that's actually pretty fascinating that you're you're working in that kind of method before we do that supply chain challenges are here to stay for a while so why not trust the experts to handle freight for your ingredients old orchard is partnered with a leading logistics firm in the craft beverage industry to transport your craft concentrate blends when you order two pails or more of concentrate from Old Orchard. You qualify for freight quotes from various carriers and can stay up to date on the status of your shipment. To get started on a freight quote for craft concentrates today, head on over to oldorchard.com brewer. Also, Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation is the first real-time comprehensive fermentation monitoring solution it works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen ph gravity pressure temperature and conductivity in real time from any smartphone tablet or pc brew monitor provides detailed insight into your fermentations that helps improve beer consistency reduce tank time and increase overall efficiency saving your brewery time and money get started for 30 days risk-free visit precision slash brewing so,
1: yeah, let's talk about this long-term Solera. What we have, again, we have the two five-barrel tanks. And um, depending on what our want, our needs are in the tap room, uh, what I will do is we'll have, say we have the tank one started off and that tank is full, it has already sour made. Uh, while that tank is being used, we'll fill the other tank. So that one is maturing at the same time as this one's already ready to be used. Now... For example, these are in one barrel batch. You just
0: move a little bit of that over to kind of, you know, just kick off the fermentation in the other vessel.
1: Right. And so what we'll do is we'll pull uh, whatever we need over a couple of weeks. And then by that point in time, the second tank will have matured enough to where we can then refill it. Because uh, the first initial uh, maturing, I think it took us about three months. And then every time before, it's gotten a little bit shorter. So now we're at about a month for a maturation time to actually be completed where it tastes you'll get like nice green apple and pineapple kind of notes out of it before doing anything to it and there's no sulfur compounds or any kind of like off notes it's just uh sour beer
0: <laughs> sure sure now imagine you're doing that in a totally oxygen-free environment you're mm-hmm. purging out in order to yeah, you know, well, just to keep that oxygen from driving that yeah a bad direction. so any
1: kind of transfers that we're doing we're doing an on co2 pushing out uh through the racking arm and then what we'll do is uh you know add a uh, potassium metabisulfate or potassium sorbate or whatever uh into that with the fruit to make sure that any uh yeast or active in- sure. active yeast is kind of halted uh and that's just to make sure that whenever people are crowling these they're shelf stable which is you know interesting that we have this whole kind of format so you're not boiling that again to kill lacto then before you go through that fruiting process everything is active in that, and so we actually have to do that otherwise you know if people get some of our crawlers during the middle of the summer they might blow up on them sure which is a normal thing for the fruited sour thing anyway shouldn't be but yeah but Yeah. yeah we're trying to make our the best that we can that To make everything shelf-stable. Because, I mean, we do enjoy these styles of beer, but we obviously have to be aware and mindful of each style and how it needs to be taken care of. Oh, that makes
0: sense. I mean, you you shouldn't put that onus on the consumer around that kind of thing. And You want people to be happy, and people aren't happy when their crowlers (laughs) explode. Uh, No, no, totally. Um, Well,
1: and we don't want to see that either, you know, because, again, with us being tiny, we want as many people to experience what we're making as possible, so... Right, definitely doesn't go really well as a brewer. You're know, like, when you blame
0: the consumer for the fact that this happens in the prowler <laughs> yeah. that you filled? You know, no, no, consumers. Funny enough, they don't, they don't like that. I, I didn't know. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> you mentioned that you have a blend of five lactose strains. Talk to me about, uh, or is that what you said? Uh, you know, yeah, it's,
1: to- it's five uh, off the top of my head. There's like Plantarum, uh Let's see. I literally would just have to go. Uh, yeah, that's list. okay. Yeah, <laughs> like I've had it for so long, I just kind of forgot. <laughs> Why do it that
0: way? And you know, how did you make a decision about which uh, which strains to throw in there?
1: Um, so originally going into it, it was ones that we had liked. You know, Plantarum is a pretty uh, straightforward profile, but then right. having things like Delbrucki and uh, I think it's Lacto Brevis as well, uh, they add kind of other complex notes but you're not going to really get those unless you let the lacto develop and so it's kind of strange is sometimes people think there's brett in our beer if hmm. um before actually realizing that there's none in it at all so uh getting those kind of like funky kind of esters and compounds mm-hmm. that are not normally found except in wild beer is kind of fun um and i i i mean i would be lying if like i'd my favorite type of beer is lambic and goose. Sure, so sure. If you know, if I'm stuck on a desert island, that's what I want to be drinking. And unfortunately, it's not the easiest to get in that South Carolina. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> on that note, you know, we're recording
0: this two days after our Armand de Belder passed away. Rest in peace, Armand. What a legend of the uh, lambic and goose world. Um Such a, a, a beautiful. Uh, tradition that he has helped shepherd on. And uh, I just feel like I have to acknowledge that right now. Oh, yeah. By the time people listen to this, it'll be months or weeks after that, at least. But uh, but I do want to just want to throw that out there. Um, I like that idea, though, of building complexity, even within what we might consider otherwise a quick sour or kettle sour, beer. clearly it's not kettle soured. You've got a whole different process going along with that but also it's not really mixed fermentation in that true mixed fermentation sense since it's this kind of lactic thing um you know what yeast though then ends up doing the like heavy lifting on the fermentation for this
1: pretty much just a there's a germinal strain a coal strain and then a um i want to say a hellas like lager strain yeah that's and those kind of at this point in time have turned into whatever they are and that that's also living in this culture with the lactobacillus, mm-hmm. huh yeah uh i it's turned out originally uh yeah it, a lot of it was just making sure that you're propagating and taking care of it from the initial part mm-hmm. and you know getting it to where we wanted the mother to be and then that way once it starts turning over then we're just doing the same thing and it's kind of the same uh, mentality I would have for like wild beer. You know, I, I'm not uh, too much into fruited wild beer, but if I'm going to, which we're going to be doing is why I say this is a lot of just having our propagations and our specific cultures in different barrels and then repropping them and putting in those specific kind of cultures and making those the spotlights as opposed to putting, you know, crazy fruits. And also maybe at this point in time we, we can, uh, change the perspective on wild beer or help try to. You know, I think that, uh, you know, there's American wild producers such as Hill Farmstead that produce quality Saisons and uh, wild beer at affordable pricing that doesn't scare people away. And if we could do something like that, then that's all I ever want to do. Because, um, for such a style to be so amazing and for so little people to have access to it is like sucks. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Um and I mean there and I mean that's a hard enough style in itself anyway, but yeah, I mean if we, we Some of it comes down to the the way that American brewers
0: have also marketed it, who've created language around it. Um the way that the entire beer world in America has tried to make it feel like this special or different or separate thing. I know coming back from Belgium was the craziest thing in the world to be in the Brussels airport and be able to find like Oud Creek just in the airport. (laughs) You know, you're popping through, like if I want to get a pastry and, you know, grab and go sandwich for lunch, I can grab and go a bottle of Oud Creek from like right there. I mean, we think of these as like different, weird, special, crazy things. And don't they don't need to be that way these are just beers they have great flavor in them they're complex there's you know nice fruity elements and flavor but also kind of depth and bitterness (laughs) and all these other things you know a little bit of acidity and uh you know you know funky and you know
1: uh i mean isn't it crazy that you can literally buy actual like gallons of like lambic and goose you know it was we treated this rarefied thing and you know (laughs) it's, it's just
0: it's just The beer, it's just the beer, you know. Anyway, I think you're right. Like, if we, (laughs) you know, but at the same time, people drink beers with these flavors, they don't hate these flavors. People enjoy these flavors. We just seem to set it up to make people want to think that it's different, weird, hard, or they should have to do more research in order to be able to understand and get into this you know it's almost like we set up this barrier that could potentially be artificial around this thing that makes it harder for people to want to like it because well you know sour even using the word sour is a terrible way to to get somebody to uh, you know interact and, and connect with a beer because that feels polarizing where if you call it tart you know or has some acidity to it you know and then here are these beers that have the same similar acidity as a lot of wine that people may drink you know and yet they don't call the wine sour Yeah, you know acidity is acidity if it's balanced around, oh yeah you know with these other flavors than is was anyway I'm, I'm gonna jump off that soapbox and, and oh, get no, but I, I would this.
1: i would completely agree with you i mean i i think um you know balance is kind of the goal even with these like fruited sours you know we're not trying to like if people don't like Sour beer, we want to make sure that maybe you might want to try a sour beer or even get that this be like your your first stepping stone into getting into wild beer and into more kind of complex things. Um that I think that's going to be something this year that we're going to be working on a lot more of and putting a lot more like Saison uh out into the market. But that's also a weird thing too. I don't even know if I want to call it a Saison because right. that's been like bastardized to where like If I anybody, this other brewer
0: in town says saison is dead. I mean, I don't know.
1: Yeah, well, well, just like I love saisons, but I feel like American culture has like either destroyed the word and turned it into something to where it's like, oh no, I don't want to drink a saison, or like, hey, I'm gonna have to drink like dirt or something, and you're like, no, like that's that's not it at all. But if that's how you're. The public in general is viewing it. Then maybe we have some work to do. <laughs> we
0: can all take a page out of Boulevard's book because they sell Tank Seven, and it's a farmhouse ale, and they sell a ton of it, and it's a fantastic beer, it and <laughs> you know, and it's not put up on some pedestal. It's sold in four packs as a way, you know, to make it accessible for everybody. I, I, I totally agree with you on that. Let's talk a little bit about uh, your fruit process. You know, clearly flavor is top of mind for you. You're very focused on how to achieve that kind of vivid flavor. Uh, and all of these have nice depth of flavor. They don't have, uh, you know, that that kettle sour note like we talked about, that sulfur note, that hot dog water, or that, you know, that kind of that weird, you know, funky element that just makes them feel thin. Like they, they do have a nice heft to them. There's even a grainy half. Like, you know, we should actually talk about like what that base recipe looks like and how you build, build some beef to it. In fact, let's do that before we talk about fruit. What is the, what's the grist on that
1: look like? So actually it's, modeled after you know uh like a lambic beer <laughs> <laughs> it's we like, make our kettle
0: sours like
1: like fruited lambic. it's like 60 percent uh like pilsner and then 30 percent malted or unmalted malted, wheat yeah. So, like, yeah um and then that just we've seen that it's given it yeah. a nice body we don't have to really do anything crazy and then i mean it's
0: berliner weiss or yeah. you know lambic there's a lot of commonalities in those things right oh
1: yeah totally and then it's yeah, it kind of just turns into its own thing, and then we'll occasionally, uh, if we want to uh, bump up the sugar content, we'll just sometimes put Demerara just if we wanted to turn into like an imperial sour. Mm. Um, otherwise, we just kind of grain and then play with it. Mm.
0: Any special mashing prop? I mean, clearly, you're, you're not trying to you know go full on turbid mash or leave
1: a just a staggered like yeah. 156, you know. Yeah. Um, and we do that kind of with a lot of beers anyway. Uh, this table beer how'd you like that ipa it was good it was, that's a cascade ipa okay cascade <laughs> yeah well now
0: you're distracting me from uh, talking about fruit in the in these <laughs> uh, faster sour <laughs> beers and uh, i do want to talk about that. yeah
1: yeah um so uh with the fruit uh this one right here is the collaboration i was telling you with that we did it with the music label and mimrix memories uh that bottle over here on the counter is actually got a qr code where you can get the album as well huh so it'll give you the album for like a purchase and stuff so that's kind of fun to work with them on that uh this has got a spirulina for the coloring in it yeah uh and then it's got a blue green color oh yeah um and then that's got uh some sauvignon blanc uh late harvest grapes in it Mm. some passion fruit and a little bit of uh uh, uh, guava in it kind of to do just soft profiles with the tartness um you get a little bit of the spirulina in it but it's kind of fun
0: yeah Talk to me about your creative process when you're thinking about how to blend these things. You mentioned things like tayberry. You're using some in, uh, you know ingredients that uh, may not be necessarily as common as some others in the uh, the general fruit and brewing lexicon, maybe not all available as aseptic puree from uh, specific <laughs> providers that uh, yeah. you know that might work for larger production breweries. Talk to me about like how you think about blending these kinds of fruit ingredients and then how you go about actually doing that.
1: So um, a lot of it is um, one, you know, if there's any ideas that we have involved in our head that might be fun, like a cobbler style beer, you know uh, how do we make that happen? And I think that's kind of where the whole, and I would say the same thing for uh, us approaching style beer as well is having like some sort of uh, food and gastronomy background is pretty important and understanding what you want out of something right and so like the they're not really like simple answers they're small again small tweaks to make something happen but when it comes to like fruiting you know we want something like I was saying with the berries and the citrus those are two profiles that can be really complementary and they they could be placed in any point in time of the season right so whether this is winter well whether this is springtime those two things, because one's not supposed to be there, it will always work, right? But also, what realize, do you mean by that? Because it's not supposed to be there, it'll like work. you're not really gonna be drinking like passion fruit in the middle of winter. But I am because I like passion fruit. And yeah. You know, I like, you know, rum cocktails and stuff. So if I can put myself and transport myself onto an island, then there's that. But then also coming back into springtime when you have, again, like cobbler beers where it's like blueberry, raspberry, and blackberry and just jammy forwardness. And I, yeah, I don't really think of it as like a springtime thing. I think of that more as like fall and me, like with my grandparents or, sure. you know, those kind of like warm feelings. And so like nostalgia kind of comes into play so putting the two together kind of just puts it a little like oddly complacent, but balanced. Yeah. So that's why a a lot of the like random fruit combos are like that. But if they're uh, pinpointed kind of like this bottle, we'll, we'll think of an actual idea. So So there's some juxtaposition,
0: you know, that's meant to elicit some kind of like jarring curiosity to it, where it's not just exactly the thing you might expect. There are notes in there that are going to, play against each other you know, and maybe create a little bit of attention, um, you well, know, in that in order to create some drama.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, that's funny you say that we've actually, so one time we did uh, Yuzu and then we did a um, fermented coffee that was fermented for I think five days and it has profiles of like raspberry and cherry. So we did Yuzu, guava, the coffee, and uh, I want to say like vanilla. And the crazy thing is that it tasted like cherry coffee <laughs> with <laughs> with like pininess into it. And so the profile itself is really fun and interesting and tastes good. But for some people, that might be like too weird. But at the same time, you know, if we don't try it, then you're never going to know what it tastes like. Those fruit and coffee kettle sours are. Uh, yeah, that, I know I was talking to Alex
0: Flores of Urban South about that because uh, <laughs> they do a drip series like that, too. You know trying to find new interesting ways to explore these kinds of flavors now that's that's really cool when it comes to method of uh, of using things uh, you know how do you work again you're in a small you're in a small system you have you don't need to think about what's going to work in a 60 barrel
1: tank you know yeah, you, yeah. you've got
0: the ability to use smaller amounts of ingredients and really get creative with it what does what does that typically look like for you
1: well if it's bad then we just dump it right right <laughs> so that's a little easy to do but um but even quantities of fruits you can find smaller quantities of things and yeah potentially it, it, use those it in does make it a little easier to do because you know if you're doing 20 or 30 barrels of a specific fruit you know that's a lot different than doing five yeah. or two barrels of it sure sure um so it does don't allow- tell
0: anybody i just finished all of
1: that. <laughs> hey don't it's i'm gonna okay. lose
0: my credibility by drinking all of that fruited hey, salad it had
1: gin staves in it too uh, gin staves what? yeah yeah and then we got a this this is a double ipa it's kind of coming on like six weeks but it's still holding okay. up nice and we got a little amber lager for you oh you could call this um not eating laying. how about that <laughs> keep trying to
0: distract me from the fruit thing let's okay, talk okay. about so these fruits. The first,
1: sorry i'm just trying to go through this flight of 12 sure, beers sure, sure. we haven't even gotten to the styles, but we'll get to those too um so the fruiting though uh we do use a couple different fruit producers um we use a local kind of fruit company and whatever they kind of have available um we'll just kind of do uh but then if we're planning something out um what we'll do is you know i'll give them a couple of weeks head notice or if we need to order it from online because there's honestly i mean i think we've probably used you're ordering fruit are you ordering, or you ordering puree you're ordering whole fruit frozen fruit these, for these specifically for fruited towers like that uh it there's just for the lack of people and manpower is not even worth trying to buy as whole fruits. now, on that being said, with again, with the wild beers and stuff like that, we'll hand process sure, like sure. figs and peaches and that's no problem. There's just a different uh, methodology and kind of mentality right to these d- types of beers. So if you can kind of think of each style of beer as like an individual person, then that's maybe the best way to approach them, right? um, so with this we're we're doing purees, but we'll try to kind of, you know, venture out like lilo fruit or you know um it's kind of fun sometimes using like uh cantaloupe with things uh we found that like using like cantaloupe and then like passion fruit and almost making like a tropical punch and having that kind of slight bitterness can really uh help make it more drinkable Hmm. um how do you use cantaloupe just they don't sell cantaloupe puree do they they do oh they do yeah they do oh well hey. so yeah we're okay. just we'll just get a puree hey. of that and you know but again we won't really know until we're there but that's another interesting point too is that we um rarely if not ever use lactose and and hmm. actually most of our beer unless that's what the collaborator wants to do and then by all means we'll do that but i mean so they're not on draft right now but we've been kind of like doing ones where we play with like almond milk or uh, oat milk and stuff and we'll fruit them the same right uh we did one with um our friends up at Newgrass, and it's got uh almond milk uh vanilla ground vanilla uh as well as it was uh blueberries blackberries i want to say peaches and uh some other is like a basically a berry cobbler type of thing to put some cassia bark with it and you get these full bodied elements This creaminess like berries and cream and none of it's it's all vegan friendly Mm. and it's it doesn't do any weird like coagulation or weird head retention either so having those kinds of things in it is really kind of reassuring too. you know where you can make products like actually full bodied and actually kind of creamy and you can still have a full audience be able to enjoy it you know i mean that's honestly why we make such a wide array of styles and why we carry everything here is to be like well me one as a person is hey you know i make beer i don't live beer i like cocktails i like other things that aren't beer sure. and maybe that helps me influence beer And so if we can kind of bridge those gaps or get people that don't want to go to a brewery to come to a brewery, then we're doing our job because they can be like, hey, you know, you don't like beer. That's fine. Well, what about hard seltzer or what about wine or what about mezcal or bourbon or what about, you know, this draft cocktails or whatever? And how about that? And and actually trying to bridge these gaps and show people that maybe they do want to try this stuff, but they didn't maybe have the right opportunity or weren't given the right tools to really assess what they're being presented with. You know, I mean, I feel like a lot of this stuff can be overwhelming for people, especially people that aren't even involved in craft beer and what their first perspective on beer is and how I think we've all how to convince somebody into drinking craft beer. And it's, it's doable. You just have to understand what they want. You know,
0: that's an interesting one. I hadn't really thought about it, but yeah, you've got your tap uh, lineup, yeah, right there below your bourbon selection here in the brew pub with uh, a pretty phenomenal selection of bourbon too. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, but it also sets all those things on the same stage. You know, it doesn't make apologies for, you know, fruited uh, quicker sours. It doesn't say, well, these are just, you know, beers that uh, shouldn't be taken seriously. They should be taken just as seriously as all the other beverages here in your menu because you craft them. Well, I think that's a nice way to say it. And a lot of brewers may, maybe, don't even treat their own beers that way, yeah. especially when they're, you know, putting a you know, like kid's cereal box, you know, label on it and, you know, playing that kind of juvenile element to it. I think some of these certainly have more complexity of flavor and should be, you know, playing in that that tiki cocktail place. That's campy, but it's also got class to it, too, rather than just the yeah. purely juvenile thing to it.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, that's, you know, a really interesting point that you make. A lot of this is like... um You know, our art has a lot of kind of retro feelings to it, but a a lot of it is kind of uh, feeling nostalgic in places, but also trying to make something new out of it. I mean, there is something to be said about respecting the past while also appreciating the future. Sure. I mean, if you're not doing either, then. I don't know. I mean, maybe that should be something you should talk to yourself about because <laughs> I find it, it, you know, it's been really beneficial for me to look at it. And like, it, it's so strange sometimes, you know, with, with talking with some of our artists, I'll be like, hey, can you craft this can? And I'll, I'll show you the, the tunnel speed canner hey, can you make me feel like warm? Like, <laughs> how how do you get the feeling of when somebody like hits a, a old synthesizer and it feels like it's being played on like a a record player like that like crackling those those kinds of elements like how do i make that a into that analog a yeah. bass and those <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah like how do i put those into beer and maybe that's where art can kind of help right. bridge that right. and fully make it but i don't know it's important to the whole creative process and maybe gets people more excited about it too sounds like the best creative briefs ever
0: um, I, let's talk a little bit more about that before we do that. <laughs> From the rotatable pickup tube on Rogue Brewing's Pilot Brewhouse to the integrated hopbacks on Sierra Nevada's twin prototyping brew houses, SS BrewTech has taken technology they invented, working with world-renowned industry veterans, and made them available to every craft brewer. To learn more about SS BrewTech's innovation list... Head on over to ssbrewtech.com. Also, if you're looking for a direct partnership with an independent hop grower who's as fanatical about flavor and quality as you are, join the revolution. Hop revolution's only reason for being is sustainably farming and processing New Zealand's most flavorsome hops. They get that great beer is not brewed to a past or a future ideal. It's an ongoing journey of fresh thinking. Hop Revolution really is only here for your beer. Let them flavor your thinking stateside directly from Hop Revolution or through Crosby Hops or Mill 95. Learn more at hoprevolution.co.nz. That's hoprevolution.co.nz or drop in for a chat at CBC Booth 1811. I love that CBC is happening in person again. I'm ex- so excited that we're going to be able to do that up in uh, Minneapolis in May. And of course, SS Brewtech, you've got a whole bunch of their equipment right here. Camp. Oh, a lot of it. Yeah, a lot of it. A <laughs> lot of it. Everything from tanks to you know some bigger tanks to even some of their small tanks and glycol even glycol chillers.
1: Yeah, we got what uh, we got eight. Yeah, eight uni tanks, one bright tank, and then we have yeah the three glycol chillers actually. Maybe four glycol chillers because yeah. there's the one in the closet. Oh, okay. Uh, and then we also have the one barrel of fruiting tanks, so there's eight of those. <laughs> so All right. we have a lot of SS fruit. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, let's talk about
0: stouts. We've we've got a few of those left. Obviously, you know, when you look at the world of untapped and uh, you know, what the beer nerds and the and whatnot uh, you know love the most from you that's certainly the thing. Um, last year at CBC, you sat on a panel talking about brewing adjunct stouts and that kind of thing. Uh, you know, certainly something that people want to talk to you about is something that I want to talk to you about. I can't let you get out of here, um, by <laughs> trying to put loggers in front of me. Okay. Fine, I'm not going to fall for that, <laughs> that kind of distraction tactic. Um, I appreciate you trying. Um, but let's talk about the kind of foundation of, of, a, of a stout program and what got you into making these. And then, uh, um, you know how you decided to set yourself apart in uh, in the world of stats. Very very competitive world. There's a smaller number of, of fans that are so fixated on that style, um, and they've got to be good to to make a mark.
1: Yeah, uh, that's it's kind of weird. Um, we kind of entered well. So this right here is actually a coffee and vanilla barley wine that we did with uh, oh. Bottle Logic uh, with like Brandon and Wes in them. Yeah, uh, they came out, and I mean I think that's probably our third or fourth beer with them. Uh, we've known them for many years at this point yeah uh originally we were gonna we did like a holiday kind of coffee for it not that it has actual holiday spices but pretty straightforward um but this plays more into kind of our traditional grain bill for our barley wines our most recent, sorry, it's really ch- heavy, bourbon.
0: heavy chocolate component to this burly uh, barley wine,
1: and I, honestly, I want to say that's probably has to do with the uh, the coffee coming from the mocha coffee, uh, monster, co- yeah, yeah. Oh. And basically, Mike just made a custom blend on it, mm. and then uh, we base yeah it's a mostra, it's mostra I, or mostra I, I potato potato we can ask mike though if you want to i we should i should do that at some point here <laughs> yeah. so i get it correct yeah <laughs> um but uh you know this one kind of came out with one uh it really does remind me of like a coffee latte yeah um we do a lot of pretty low carbonation on our or any of our dark beers uh some people aren't really a huge fan of that i personally am uh i think that it, it we have like a silkiness and a nice mouthfeel to our beers. And I've noticed that if they get carb too much, then you're losing that. Hmm. And so I've almost just do the bare minimum on carbing. And uh, that suffices to what I'm looking for in a beer. So to some people they're like, I don't like flat beer or close to flat beer and that's fine, but that's not our goal for what I'm trying to make. If, uh, I mean, I do appreciate it, but sometimes I just, you know, I mean, you can tell these are pretty flat beers, but, uh, and yeah, maybe if we know, poured it them lends, off, drab. it lends it
0: almost like a, uh, you know, coffee liqueur kind of element, although it's certainly not as hot as a coffee liqueur might be. Um, you know, but, but it's more of more spirit than it is, uh, yeah, know, Beer yeah. at some point.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting, uh, trying to kind of model a stout beer because, like you're saying, going back to what we started, I really don't even know how I got into stout beer in a weird way is, you know, I was making small batches and then we had put them into small barrels. And then um, people were always like, blah, blah, you got to make it like super thick and all this stuff. And I have never even had any of those beers. So I don't even know what I'm comparing it to. And all I can really do is just be like, all right, I'm going to take whatever tips you all have uh, as best as possible to you know get what you're getting out of it and maybe we'll just make something good out of it and you know we did have uh some like friends in the industry kind of lend us some pointers into what what to do but really they were like uh boil the beer until you can't read it and we're like (laughs) okay yeah yeah (laughs) and so that is what we did and then um I ended up putting a uh, piece of future and then we made uh, basically the barley wines that you're looking at. They're modeled after like brew 2000. Cause oh. so brew 2000 was what I, I, had, I didn't like that's Fremont's. Brew yeah, 2000. Yeah, yeah. I I didn't like barley wine until I'd had, had that. And then I realized that that's something I really wanted to pursue. So that's uh, what modeled, what got me to model that. So we, threw- that is
0: a fantastic beer. It is also,
1: <laughs> a past craft beer and brewing beer of the year it's it's a pretty amazing it's beer Pretty amazing i had a brew a, a 1000 a couple of weeks ago I'm yeah still holding up great nice um but yeah you know having those kinds of having that like friends that knew what they were wanting out of it and then basically just trusting me to adjunct it so the two beers i'm actually talking about are uh, neck and neck and then piece of future which um are i think arguably what kind of really got us moving forward or somewhat noticed and you know it's was, it was really funny is that we had probably the same amount of you know neck and neck bottles that we'd have for a regular bottling run that we are currently doing but it took it like two weeks to sell out and, sure and nobody wanted because nobody knew <laughs> right right and uh and then suddenly it was like wow this is crazy what people are like what <laughs> right, right um but i mean uh, basically you know i adjuncted the this barrel aged beer that we had in a small format barrel adjuncted it with coconut and macadamia and, uh, chocolate and vanilla just because that's what i wanted out of a beer and then i just had my friends send it to people and it, it, you know this is when I guess people were more helpful with online and stuff and it really made more of an impact. Back when people were more helpful online. I don't I'm not saying it like negatively. I'm just yeah. saying again with how beers change itself and I don't want to use influencers because these people are my friends. So I don't sure, sure. it's it's just it's weird connotations and so I don't really know how to approach yeah. talking about it. Yeah. But you know, at the point in time, my friend was like, look, I'm going to send them these beers and they're not going to just promote your stuff. If they legitimately like it, they'll probably post something. But if they don't like it, like that's just what it is. Right. And then they'd all started being like, "We I legitimately like this. And then we put out our membership program and then things from there kind of started picking up. But, you know, uh, it's again, weird because of how small we are is why i feel like we got so much attention in a weird way yeah because it was so much scarcity involved and it's not that we wanted it to be that way it was more like i just need to make some money as a small brewery here's our bottles and then (laughs) right right (laughs) did not expect anything like this to happen and yeah but on the other hand you know so that's that's really when that kind of turning point started to happen and we started producing more stout beer and then I started dialing in different stout recipes and then, you know, the barley wine, I think we had had it to a point where I was really happy with it. And just, we only use like one or two different recipes just because I think that that's something that is just, we don't really need to mess with too much. And then we started phasing out doing like, you know, wild beer, turban mash, spontaneous stuff, because this was just taking over uh, everything at that point in time. Right. And, you know, people were lining up in our parking lot at, you know, two or three in the morning. And it was just really weird. Like, (laughs) just totally surreal stuff that I didn't really think, like, we would be capable of producing. But, um, I mean, I'm thankful for it all. Sure. I mean, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't – I don't think we'd be talking. Probably not. (laughs) Probably
0: not. You know, but But having said that, you know, it's not – you know, with all of these, there are plenty of other people that are also making these styles of beers and aren't hitting in that in that kind of way or aren't finding the same kind of audience that uh, is expressing demand for. There's some of them making the same kind of quantities. You know, there are plenty of people, you know, the, the reason why, you know, sometimes people just, you know, it's the right time, it's the right place, and there's just this kind of confluence of... uh uh, you know, of experience and incident that, uh, you know, that leads to these kinds of things. I mean, it's the same thing in the music world where, uh, why does one singer become popular at this point? Sometimes it's just the right moment for the right song that gets to the right DJ that, you know, it gets out in the right yeah. kind of, you know, sphere. you, you know, at some point you can try to put a scientific uh, take a scientific approach and figure out exactly why but um having said that i think there's something to it and that probably does come back there there is this kind of flavor through line through all the beers that you make whether they're stouts or whether they're you know uh, fruited sour beers um and it's a actually a clever and strategic approach to building flavor that's probably rooted in that kind of culinary background that you have working in food for so long you know being able to taste things in a certain way and being able to understand how those flavors interact with each other it's not just an accident you know and it's not just a you know a laundry list of i'm going to pull these ingredients and do this thing with it it's also knowing what kind of qualities you want out of some of those ingredients and then thinking about you know quantities or sourcing or those other pieces that go into it so that you get exactly the flavors that you want out of those and then as you taste it Figuring out how to dial it into exactly the right thing the same way that a chef would as they're preparing a dish, yep. working
1: through that kind of creative process. Uh, that is Ghost So That's a banana and coconut stout. Uh, the other stout I was going to tell you about, which kind of a little more even pertains to what's going on, uh, this is Stress Stream. It's a collab that we did with Fidens. Um, and that's kind of, that's got a uh, strawberry, a passion fruit wash, uh, Colombian coffee as well as caramel, coconut, uh, chocolate, and vanilla. and um, That's a mouthful. Yeah, it is a lot. But at the same time, um, it's in a way a play on a Neapolitan. So more of a simple thought if you think of it that way. Um, I get a lot of like waffle cone, like strawberry waffle cone notes in it. And that's kind of where the coffee is playing in. Uh, But this is a really good example of kind of what you're talking about in terms of like dialing in things or making things have multiple layers so uh the strawberry aspect of this beer we fermented it on strawberries Mm. so for us whenever we have to brew a stout it takes us two days to brew um, which is a in a weird way a good thing because what this allows us to do is that on our first day uh, we can continue uh, a fermentation that can handle complex sugar chains and then whenever we introduce simple sugars into it there won't be any stalling on the second day. Right. So on our second day what we're doing is we're adding uh we're knocking out on like strawberry and then what we'll do is let it ferment and what you'll do is you'll get uh faded notes of strawberry coming out and the notes are almost even more aromatic than anything. Then what we'll do is we'll come back with like a freeze dried strawberry and then add that in cold side to kind of create a fuller profile of the strawberry and we did the same thing with another like bottle logic collab as well where we ferment on the fruit first and then add another layer of fruit in cold side to give different elements of it to also create a fuller picture of what you're maybe more familiar with
0: kind of explain this to me you know exactly in technical terms how you're doing that
1: so we're essentially uh, we're almost making like a giant starter, <laughs> sure. In sure. a weird way, uh, we'll, we'll, but it's not a smaller beer. You're you're doing this with the stout itself. Yeah, we're doing it with okay. the stout itself, and so if there's any sugars that are added, we make sure to not add them um, on the first day. Uh, and that's kind of funny because oh, so you're
0: basically doing you're not doing the same mash in two days. You're actually doing a slightly different mash, and then kind of building this additive yeah, yeah, beer that. Yeah. In the, in the tank.
1: So like, for example, say if you had a stout that required like Demerara sugar, because that's what the person wanted to have in the notes of it. So instead of us doing like 50 pounds or 25 pounds and 25 pounds in a batch, we would just do 50 pounds on the second day. Yeah. And then it'll average out the starting gravity. Right, right. Um. And it, yeah, but you it, make
0: that yeast work on that first day's batch so that it's... Yeah, yeah, and, and then sure.
1: it has no issues fermenting because uh, we have had that issue where we... um, And this happened on a beer called uh, Nucleosynthesis, and it had a super high starting gravity, but we... Made the mistake of brewing it and putting the sugars in, uh, the simple sugars in on the day of. Mm. And then I uh, had to like recirculate it and reoxygenate it multiple times, which was kind of scary because, uh, you know, risking infection. Right. But yeah, I mean, the yeast company was like, yeah, yeah that's a really high <laughs> gravity and you're going to need to like reoxygenate your wort in order for this to even continue fermenting. So, we needless to say, learn to not sure, <laughs> do sure. that again, um, but again, that's it's been easy enough because it basically, instead of us having to make a beer in one day and double batching it and spinning, you know you could have the same person brewing the beer over two days, and I'll be fine.
0: It's so funny because uh you know it was recently we were talking to uh uh Urbain couteau from uhtroissa Brewers, and they favor a lot of you know sixteen seventeen eighteen percent beers and uh, and they do that over four days and fill one tank over four days and we, and uh, it does a modified kind of you know step mash temperature deal same kind of thing where it's the hot, the hottest temperature goes, is that first batch and each successive batch then changes in temperature but the hardest to ferment is that first batch for the same, same reason that you talk about that uh, you're making your yeast do the work and getting used to that work early on. So that it doesn't stall out when it gets to, yeah. you know, when, the, <laughs> when you then feed it easier stuff. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's kind of fascinating.
1: Yeah. um, And you know uh, it's, it's weird is uh, like, yep. One day told me something I think as a, a really good example to into how to view adjuncting your beer
0: that's yeppa uh, uh from uh, evil twin yeah
1: and uh he basically was just like use ingredients how you would use them in real life so if you were to use something like uh a, if you were trying to make like a tiramisu or a creme brulee or whatever like apply those heat or non-heat elements into it to pull out the flavors that you're wanting otherwise you're you might be risking the ideas of like tannic profiles coming out of weird. I, w- I don't even really want to call them adjuncts because like they're not adjuncts. Like a coconut is an adjunct. Like, and that's a, an, you know, sure. A weird It's an ingredient. It's a weird brewer like thing where like, you're like, stop saying that. Like, it's not adjunct with fruit. Like it's, it's just fruited, <laughs> but it's, I don't want to correct somebody cause that's just mean. but <laughs> sure, sure. But, um, you know, the, again, the, the point being is that, okay, if I want like candy bars in a beer, well, do you ever bake candy bars? And you're like, no, I guess I don't. And you might want to just leave those cold or seriously. And if you have a pasteurizer, then you can put anything into your beer and it's fine. Yeah. But like, you know, otherwise sometimes if I put in, like we made the mistake one time where I put in, um, astronaut ice cream sandwiches, and i put that in cold side rather than hot side not thinking about the fact that there's lacto cultures in the ice ice cream sandwiches and then what it did was it created a sour stout beer so that was fun so we had to recall that beer (laughs) 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 but i mean again you know process things that you're not gonna realize until you do them um
0: so then now we get back to that. And let me walk through this again. You do with this beer with strawberry, a stout with strawberry in it. And so you brew, you're, you're brewing that first day, you're boiling, you knock that out. And then, you know, you, 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 it's not a continuous boil, it's just two long boils in order to do that. But then, you know, at, then on that second day, as you knock out into it, you're then adding strawberries somewhat close to that knockout point so that you've got simple sugar in there along with this new batch that has its sugar and that can now work through all of that quickly, right? Then yeah, correct. Um, that's a, that's a cool idea. So you're adding fruit while the yeast is still active. Then you're almost bio transforming your fruit and your stouts.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Like, <laughs> and I was, I used to get scared about fermenting with stouts or like fermenting fruit with stouts, but then I realized that as long as it fermentation just eats so much flavor out of everything. Yeah, and so if anything you're almost getting like essences out of the fermentation so even if you load it up on fruit puree you're still going to ferment it out for the majority and then it's going to just leave this kind of like berry essence or you know apricot or whatever it's kind of going on but it's not wild beer so there's not going to like if you have strawberry where it could turn potentially plastic and if you're not doing the kind of like flushing, you know, flushing that correctly or doing the right kind of fermentation with strawberry with wild beer always comes out bad. But there's some people that know how to work with fruits and it comes out like strawberries. <laughs> sure, sure. And so there's kind of the same thought process with making the style beer or just any kind of thing is, you know, be conscious of what ingredients you're you're using so maybe do a, a bare minimum research on it and then apply it and then what you do is look at what you know and then start from there so uh with the coffee you know i have like we'll add x amount of coffee or we'll add x amount of vanilla and we'll add whatever coconut and we let all of those things circulate with this beer and then i came back after the weekend, after everything had circulated and you know, I'd pulled coffee and it was still providing some like astringency that maybe I wasn't too fond of. So that's when you have to just come to terms with yourself that one, I'm fine with this and I'm gonna just release it. Or two, we need to add something else to this to get it to where we want it to be. And so I added more coconut to help round out the profile, but also add more of that kind of like ice cream kind of mouthfeel. And that those are things that you have to just be mindful of with the, the whole building process is that don't get too caught up on exact numbers. Get get, you know, have place points, but really be uh, open to the idea of changing and Um, adjusting on the fly to create something because if you're not then you're just going to keep ending up with products that you may not be happy with or maybe your customer views as average and for somebody like ourselves I really can't afford to just be average because we're so small and so we have to stand out in any kind of way that we can so sure sure you mentioned before that you'd
0: then uh, even after this initial f- fruit puree fermentation in here that uh, on the cold side then um you know, and is there any specific uh, yeast that you use to work through some of these big stouts or is it just i just use california ale yeast hey, i it's mean
1: pretty common yeah i mean it's it does a, the job it's yeah, pretty it's neutral workhorse neutral um it gets the high abvs and exactly yeah. i mean we used to do a uh, super yeast but it the weird thing about that is that it stalled a lot more
0: than <laughs> interesting.
1: Yeah. yeah. They were like promoting it to be a higher yeast or like higher attenuation. And then I get better attenuation results yeah. with just Cali. So I'm like, yeah, you might, or you or could just use like Safal, and that'd be totally fine too. I mean, yeah. I know, and especially if you're on, I wouldn't even say budget. It's really just, what are you looking for? Cause I know plenty of professional homebrewers that are using dry yeast and, making kick-ass beer so like there's no stigmas behind it Sure, sure. <laughs> it's more just what do you want out of your beer <laughs> right
0: right are there any tricks to the fermentation in terms of temperature to kind of control esters you know you've, you're definitely pushing fruity flavors in here and so you know maybe are you trying to optimize for those are you trying to keep it neutral before you add those
1: um if you can aim in the lower 60s um then it'll just keep it clean but i have noticed that sometimes we will add uh, it'll go it will start at a slightly higher and you'll pull out some banana notes hmm. and that can be kind of fun like with that ghost in you that you have with the banana beer there was yeah. some already. oh actually you know what we fermented that stout on a uh, banana yeast the omega banana yeast huh. or bonanza or whatever just to see what it would do, and then added banana to it. <laughs> Leaning in. Leaning in. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, no, it was just kind of fun because we were like, I mean, we might as well try it, and then it's just draft only. So it was cool to have, a like, a draft only stout that people, you know, if they travel can be like, hey, I got something unique. Right, right. But, yeah. Even more rare than rare because you can't even trade it.
0: Yeah. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> So then on the cold side you you know do you do some additional conditioning and you might pull out you know like double up on some of these ingredients to help achieve some sort of uh, pop or add another layer of that same fruit or flavor to it
1: yeah uh, we'll do that and i'll also if there's any kind of like sugars or fermentables we also do the same thing to our stouts as we would to uh, our fruit is ours and that's just to make sure that there's no weird because again after the issue that we had with the lactobacillus in the one beer we want to make sure that nothing is happening even if even if our process changes have changed entirely, I still don't want to risk anything. Right. Um, you know, if we had a, a, a flash pasteurizer, then we would probably be a, a little more adventurous, which is to some people would be like, is that <laughs> where were you go? If you're more adventurous yeah, than this? and, and I'm like, Oh, well, there's a lot of places, but <laughs> the, the other part of me is like, well, maybe this is a good thing. So <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> Are you sure you don't want, Barrel-aged candy bars, (laughs) like well, kind of. I like Twix.
0: (laughs) When you're uh, when you're adding some of these ingredients, and I'm not going to call them adjuncts, I'm going to call them ingredients. You know, coconut, uh, you know, and the like, and coffee. You are adding straight to the tank. You're not doing a smaller, higher concentration uh, maceration that you're then blending back into the tank. You're not using a recirculation kind of method. You're just popping them in. No,
1: no. So we actually have a hot... um, okay. Cool. So, and uh, I think having a hot back or any sort of recirculation is going to be crucial for anybody producing uh, adjuncted beer. <laughs> I said it. I'm just uh, no. um So, basically, what we have seen, and I think a, a lot of people like Cigar City have proven, sure, sure, <laughs> um, is that if you recirculate C- Cigar City's spin bot, right? Yeah, exactly. Spin bot. Yeah, the spin bot. Um, if you have um, circulate your ingredients you're able to get more surface area covered and you're able to get a better profile in a shorter amount of time um, and so that's been you know we've been fortunate enough to have some really cool people in the industry that have given us tips and how to use them also in terms of how to build it but really it's just a hot back with the pressure uh, you know being on it and that if you can keep it under pressure and circulate it. You're fine. Um, there's as long as it doesn't get too. you know, once you get over 10 PSI, you might want to start letting pressure out somewhere on one of the ends and then just trying to keep it balanced. But that, um, happens. The aeration will happen if like, say I'm transferring it and then here's the adjunct. And then if you're the port in which it's coming out is maybe like an inch or so above it. And then you'll start seeing it degas itself. Um, but that's that's something that happens over a course of a couple days so it's not like you can't monitor it just having circulation in general has been really crucial for us um basically we have to dose our tanks a couple times usually with coconut so instead of putting in as you can see those are the tops on them that we would have to go through so we used to put coconut through the top and hang it on our spray ball and then put the bag down in there with the coconut and then just kind of let it hang out. And then we had to pull it out from the top and get on like a step stool or whatever and pull that out. And those end up turning into like, you know, from 25 pound bags to 50 pound bags that you're then reaching in a couple feet to pull out. And it was just dangerous. Sure, sure. <laughs> you know, you know, one thing for me to be complaining and like, oh, wow, this is, you know, I don't want to do it. But it's another thing to be like, I could like our employees could get legitimately hurt if they're not doing this correctly. So, you know, the, obviously a, state, a safety thing was a real important thing in trying to come up with what to do. And then, you know, you know, talking with bottle logic, they were like, you know, you should just make a hot back, convert it and just start putting your adjuncts into that. And then you'll circulate on them over a couple of days. There's a couple of like, you know, coconut only takes a couple of days to extract you know, chocolate only takes a couple of days right. to extract, you know, coffee can take hours to a day to extract like those kinds of things. But the net of increasing that
0: efficiency yeah. of the extraction also means you're using less ingredients. That means less absorption, which means you're also losing less of this very expensive liquid Oh, well, I mean, on a small scale for a brewery like this. Every ounce that you can, uh, you know, you save is, yeah. is money
1: to prove the point that you're or add to the point that you're making is that. If I was pulling out a bag of coconut that weighed 50 pounds and then squeezing it as much as I can, that's going to get nowhere near as much out as me putting it in a hot bag and then putting CO2 pressure on it into where almost all of that liquid comes out, except for maybe what's in uh, one of the hose lines, which is, you know, a beer, but a beer compared to five beers or 10 beers is pretty significant. Again, like what you're saying is, you know, if these bottles are over $20, for a bottle, that's not, no, that's a significant sure. amount of money for us. So, right. Yeah. If, if we can figure one out. bottle's worth versus 10, you know, yeah. that's, yeah, a couple hundred bucks a beer. Worth, yeah. Know. I mean, some people are like, oh, yeah, you know, you're only saving like 12 bottles. And I'm like, I, it, 12 bottles is actually a significant amount of money. When you're releasing 200, 12 bottles is a lot of bottles. Yeah. And, and it does become infinitely more important to do that. It actually, finally just bought us a flow meter, which will, you know the more knowledge that you can know about your beer the better it will always be just i mean i think that's a weird thing to be said about uh professional brewing is that you know making a step from home brewing to brewing at a professional level even on this scale the quality differences are significant and there's no way of even like unless you really understand beer there's no way you could make that kind of stuff at home or if you have a bunch of money then that's another thing but at that point you might as well just make a brewery because the shit costs
0: <laughs> sure, a, sure like
1: similar pricing so you're like all right well you know instead of making that one barrel batch you could probably make like five or three or whatever or half <laughs> we've had that same conversation with folks where like even tom from
0: antidote and, like it's his uh his homebrewing hobby turned into a professional brewery because they were homebrewing too much beer. They couldn't drink it all, you know, but they wanted to keep making it. So they have to find a way to sell it. No, yeah. it totally makes sense. Uh, I let's, love their beer so much. Let's talk about left field ingredients and in some of your big barrel aged beers. You know, talk to me about the, the, one of the more interesting or, uh, out there ingredients that you used and how you got, uh, interesting
1: or good results out of it. Um, so I would say that and we haven't done it in a barrel aged beer but i think i would like to uh is chamomile
0: chamomile
1: yeah so we did a beer called uh old gods it's a yeah. barley wine it's got coconut chamomile and a uh, vanilla in it and it's like a bergamot ice cream like citrus orange coconut like really pleasant i i've Never thought I would really like that until I just started making it, and and that came out really good. We also did a, and I think what got me inspired by that was um, we worked with a local restaurant called Barmar. Basically, they did a uh, Vietnamese coffee, and so we did. I just that their desserts, it's just phenomenal. So they make this chicory syrup that goes into it, and it's. <laughs> Uh, When you try it, there's so much coffee and your heart starts, like, racing. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah. And so uh, we put this, like, chicory coffee syrup in it, vanilla, some coconut, and then uh, the cardamom. And it just – it became one of, I think, my favorite beers I think we've, like, ever made. And it's weird to say that because it's a non-barrel-aged beer. But at the same time, the the depth of flavor and what's coming out of it is so – unique but pleasant that like it's something i you don't realize you crave in something until you have it Hmm. so i think yeah cardamom the cardamom and like the chamomile kind of mixes those are really fun ingredients to have obviously they can be overwhelming but uh playing with them again with like with restraint yeah and slowly building it Like, if you're not familiar with it, why not err on the side of less? Because you can always add more. And so, yeah, I mean, with the chamomile, I would just tea it and then put it in and then ta-da. I would put the the concentrate of it. And then since it's already been boiled, it's sanitized. So then put that in a bag and put it in. Let it sit for a few days, circulate it on the coconut. And then ta-da. Here's magic barley wine. Right. (laughs) Um, And then... I don't know that I've adventured too, too much with the stout stuff. Uh, Cause that's a really weird point to make is that when you start getting too weird with stout beer, uh, people don't necessarily get excited. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> They're like, this seems weird. Like, I don't know that I want to sure. drink this. And so, and we we've see gone it. off the other half, you know, Thai
0: banana, you know, diving board and into that, into that swimming pool. People are okay. Kind of okay with that, even though those are tend to not be the most highly prized of the things that they do, yeah, yeah, um,
1: <laughs> we did like a hummingbird cake uh stout and that's like pineapple banana pecans vanilla just, I don't know a bunch of stuff that sure. people would be like, oh and like allspice and stuff, so it was very uh polarizing for people, but at the same time it tasted like a hummingbird cake, and we use hummingbird cakes in it so there's, that's a win for hummingbird cakes yeah i think you know in
0: that regard it works just the same way that you mentioned you know it's it's almost what you said use it in the way that uh you know you'd use it in food and you guys have chocolatiers and bakers and pastry makers and everyone else to to look at and the way that those things get used with chocolate um you know because all the flavors that work in stouts with these <laughs> also work in chocolates you know yeah, yeah. in a very very similar way um, let's zoom out a little bit and talk to me about what the, the bigger picture looks like for 8th State. What's what's next in the short run and what's the big long-term goal for, for this project that
1: started as a broader creative outlet and is now focused on brewing? Uh, so, well, right now um, we're currently yeah, obviously trying to operate within the means that we are, but uh, I would like to ultimately have, you know, like a 15 barrel system uh, working with like the three barrel system because again like we were talking about with different uh, markets and different people there's no point in making a giant amount of imperial style if only a certain segment of your audience wants that now on the other hand when we have lager beer and we have ipas whether or not anybody knows us for lager beer or ipas that's still going to be one of our top sellers so i would like to continue to build that as a brewery and you know show that we are a well-rounded brewery overall and that that does involve increasing into different markets but more in the real the reason of being like hey we're gonna do draft around greenville and maybe a couple accounts in like charlotte or whatever and be really strategic with that and making sure that the package products that we're doing are either going to accounts that are friends or they're going directly from us uh I want to make sure that whatever connections that we are doing with people that are selling our beer is that they're people that care about our beer as opposed to just going to take it and do whatever they want with it. And that's kind of why we don't put beer out there to begin with. It's because so many people don't understand how to use a fruit. It's ours. So why would I send this into a market, one, when you're going to complain about the pricing on it, and then two, complain that you can't use the keg because you don't understand what the beer is. So rather than even giving them that option, I'm I will just give you, you know, straightforward styles, but still try to increase our audience broader and still basically make sure that each audience is thought of and considered when we are growing. So, like, you know, I want you to view the stouts as like we're not just blowing up. It's no, this is going to stay probably about the same. We're trying to get a bigger facility. We want to have a destination location. We want to really bring in that kind of environment and like a creative environment. So ultimately I would like to be a, you know, have a destination location, have a tap room, maybe have satellite locations that are specifically very specifically located and very small, um, you know, dig deeper, not further, um, if we can do that, then I kind of will be happy with what we're doing, you know, have a cool brewery, have a cool tap room, have a maybe a tap room in Seattle because one of, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> the laws are good. And we like we have, you know, a, an owner there or something. Right. So it's, it's like, yeah. hey, this this connection actually makes sense instead of being like, hey, we're just showing up. Sure. Um, sure. But, you know, I I would love for if to expand on all the elements in this place that you see going from the art aspect to the bourbon program to you know us doing rum or agricole kind of cocktails to having a wine list that's thought out to you know feeling at home in a space that's not at home and like how do you make a big structure feel like that and those are kind of weird challenges that i want to experience and i want other people to like get on board with like you know, who's going to get mad at plants. Like, that's pretty awesome. Sorry. <laughs> that's true. That's
0: true. And it kind of speaks to that whole idea of the eighth state and finding that sense of community, you know, yeah. that, uh, that bigger thing that you're a piece of. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a great way to bring it to a close for nearly 30 years. G and D chillers has set the mark for quality equipment. You can rely on the malt house, is your online source for cool and exclusive raw malting company gear. Trust the experts at Old Orchard to handle freight for your ingredients. Get detailed insight into your fermentations with Brew Monitor risk-free. Put SS BrewTech's advances to work in your brew house, just like Cameron does right here at Eighth State. And try New Zealand's most flavorful, sustainably farmed hops from Hop Revolution. If you enjoy this podcast every week, we'd love your support. Go to bernberg.com. Click on the subscribe button. If... You happen to have a brewery in planning, go to breweryworkshop.com dot com for information on our Portland, Oregon accelerator this coming july like i said at the top we are in the midst of our asheville sold out asheville accelerator in fact every one of the brewery workshops is sold out um it's kind of awesome we keep them small we keep them tight it should be uh you know so they're hands-on and people get one-to-one uh, attention and on all of this uh we're coming back in july to portland oregon because there is interest and we have uh, uh and i'm glad i'm glad that we're now in a part of the market again where uh, in this getting through COVID era that we can, uh, can do these things again. And there's more interest in maintaining this kind of hospitality and new brewery approach, especially as the you know, another generation of older brewery owners is retiring and the new generation is looking to, to step in and take some of those places. Anyway, go to breweryworkshop.com for more information about that. Cameron, if people want to learn more about the eighth state, where do they
1: find you in real life and out there on the interwebs? Uh, we, well, you can go to 8statebrewing.com or you can go to our Instagram. It's the the 8 State Brewing uh, that we spot with the in an eight, like the number, TH State Brewing. Uh, we all have that account as well as the Taproom account. Um, otherwise, you can find us on Facebook too, but those are all reliable sources of information. Uh, our regular site's going to just have. You know, the cocktails, the bourbon, sure. all the to go products. It's going to be great. Anyway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then in real life right here in Greenville, South Carolina,
1: uh, in Greenville, uh, you know, I would check out places like Greenville Beer Exchange, Community Tab, uh, The Whale. Uh, really good friends of ours, sure, as well as uh, a couple other spots like Habitat on the other side of town. So, yeah, just crafted the okay. whale in Asheville the other night. Uh, it's a
0: fantastic beer bar, and I just love beer bars. I love people that approach beer with that kind of care and finesse and and deep love and
1: build lists like okay. they do and oh, serve yeah. it in that kind of way yeah yeah you gotta admire the jesse and ross and the team at the whales and all of the locations that they yeah, have sure i mean they're just yeah love them all fantastic
0: thanks for joining for the podcast cameron
1: thank you so much for having it's been me great talking with you yeah, cheers it's been great thanks